hello and welcome to our podcast. We hope it encourages and inspires you. Please head to our website for more information on what is happening at Ashburton New Life or to get in touch. One of our team would love to talk to you. Here's today's message. Thank you, everyone. It's so cool to be here at church this morning. Um, For those of you that don't know me, my name is Ruby, so welcome to church and welcome to everyone online. It's so good to have you present with us this morning. So my name is Ruby and I am married to Jeremy and we have been married for two and a half years. And then four and a half months ago, I had the cutest wee boy, Ezra. He is chubby and cute and delicious and if you see him on Sunday, just try and grab him off someone else because he just gets passed around. We don't even see him on a Sunday morning. Before I had Ezra, um, I was the youth pastor here at New Life Church, and I was also a 24-7 youth worker at Ashburton Intermediate and Ashburton College, and I have been doing that for seven years, um, which is an amazing job working with young people, helping them through family issues, self-harm, suicide, and that's what I do day in and day out at school, which is pretty amazing. After I had Ezra, I found myself in a bit of a rut. I was a bit dull, and I couldn't seem to put my finger on what I was feeling, which is quite normal after you have a baby, but it was just different. Um, One night, me and Jeremy went round to mum and dad's house, and I was explaining to them how I was feeling, and I asked mum if she had any books she could recommend me reading. Off she went down to the office, and she came back down with this book called The Spirit of Python, And I just laughed to myself. I was like, you've just had a baby and you're going to read a book called The Spirit of Python. That's beautiful. Um, So I started reading this book and this book has been absolutely incredible for me to read and then reread because there's so much depth and personal reflection needed before you can carry on reading to the next chapter. So my prayer for all of you today as we unpack the sermon is that you'll become an aware of attack and also be able to use these keys to overcome it. So if you haven't guessed already, the title of my message is called The Spirit of Python. The first thing we need to understand, and I'm sure that we all do, is that the devil only kills to rob, only comes to rob, kill, and destroy. And we can read that in John 10.10. Jesus also kills the devil, a murderer of lies, in John 8.44. And in Genesis, Satan comes to the Garden of Eden as a serpent. And in Revelation, John calls him the serpent that deceives the whole world. I've grown up in church for 22 years. I went to every Sunday school. And it wasn't until I read this book that I understood the connection between the devil and a snake. To be honest, I thought it was because the snake was the ugliest animal in the jungle. And I was like, have you seen those monkeys with the big butts? I was like, that's even uglier. That should be the devil. But it wasn't until I read this book that the connection was made. There are many forms of snakes. They all hunt and destroy their prey in different ways. Some snakes are more venomous than others. Some are smaller. Some can camouflage and some stand out. The same is with evil spirits. They all hunt in different ways and they all have different characteristics. The way they operate and destroy, some can be more powerful than others. But there is one snake that destroys its prey in a unique way. The python is a very clever snake. It waits very patiently. It can be around its prey for a while before it even attacks, watching and learning. Once it's ready to attack, it sinks its sharp teeth into the victim. 
But the thing with the python is bite isn't fatal, it's what happens next. The python is after one thing from its victim, and that's its breath. It slowly coils itself around and squeezes the life out. Little by little, it chokes and suffocates its prey until all the air has left its lungs. So what is the significance of air in a spiritual situation? Breath, air, and wind are signs of the Holy Spirit. John 20 verse 22, Jesus breathed on his disciples and said, Receive the Holy Spirit. In Acts 2, the Holy Spirit came like a rushing wind. And in Genesis, God breathed life into Adam. The devil wants one thing, and that's to extract the Holy Spirit from our lives and his anointing. Without the Holy Spirit, we cannot do anything that will have a lasting effect. Not by power, not by might, but by his Holy Spirit. And that's in Ezekiel 4.6. If Satan can't stop you from becoming a Christian, then he has a plan B. And that's to make you a miserable Christian. That really stood out to me. The devil can't take away my faith, but he can make me miserable, lazy, unmotivated, and a fruitless Christian. And that's what I was becoming. I started to lose passion for church. Reading the Bible and praying became a chore, and I actually lost passion for the people in church. If Satan can't stop you from becoming a Christian, then he has a plan B, and that's to make you a miserable Christian. So how do you know if you're under an attack from the spirit of Python? The first is loss of spiritual desire. You find that you have no time to read the word you feel disconnected when you pray. You find more enjoyment in worldly things rather than godly things. The goal of any spiritual attack is to turn you away from what God wants to do in your life. When you delight in the Lord, nothing else compares. You see that with a lot of new Christians. Their hearts are on fire. Nothing that you could tempt them with would um, take them away from church or coming to youth group. But losing spiritual desire doesn't happen deliberately. It happens over time. It's so important to have hobbies outside of church, like sport, traveling, and hunting, but it's important that we come to church, and when worldly pursuits take the place of God, we can become very quickly become lukewarm. The second sign that you're under attack is physical fatigue. God created us body, mind, and spirit. If our bodies are weak, it can then allow things into our mind that can allow negativity to flood our spirit. Many times we face our greatest attacks before a great promotion or just after a great victory. If we look at Elijah quickly, he had an amazing victory of fire falling from heaven. He killed 850 prophets, but fatigue left him open from attack from Jezebel. Fatigue in your body wears on your mind. Elijah ran into the wilderness for a full day. When his adrenaline finally wore off, he sat down under a tree and prayed that he would die. I think it's really important to recognize here that Elijah had suicidal thoughts. After a tremendous victory, the threat of being killed almost broke him. God looked after him by sending an angel to wake and feed him. But physical fatigue plays on your mind. And I understand this to a whole new level after having a baby. I remember growing up, 
dad would also would say to me, if I lined up all the little girls in the world, I would say, where's Ruby? Where's Ruby? I want Ruby. And now I say that to Ezra, not that he really comprehends, but I say, I want Ezra. I want Ezra. And he gives me the biggest gummy smile. But a lot of you mums probably remember day two or three of having a baby. You're very sore from giving birth. I was trying to learn how to breastfeed. It was my first night. Mum didn't stay with us. And no matter what I did, Ezra wouldn't stop crying. And in that moment, I said to Jeremy, I don't want him anymore. Take him away. And I cried in bed because I mourned my old life without him. I mourned going to bed when I wanted, waking up when I wanted, my body being my body. You know, physical fatigue plays on your mind. It's very dangerous. People have very dark thoughts on little sleep, and I understand why it was used for a torture method. The next sign is a lack attack. A lack attack is when everything hits the fan at the same time. Your car breaks down, you have an argument at work, someone passes away, you get bad health news, and the list never ends. If the devil can get you worrying rather than worshipping, he absolutely will. Then what can happen is we start to make decisions based on opportunity rather than anointing. One thing we need to remember during that, these times is that the devil can never, re, can never create. He doesn't have the ability to create new things, but he can recreate. So not all good offers come from God. Before Jesus went to die on the cross, Satan came to him and tried to sway him from his purpose and give him an out from the cross. He offered him all the kingdoms, but there was just one little catch. All he had to do was bow down and worship him. He was giving Jesus an out from torment, from torture, from death, and all he had to do was worship him. Sometimes I think we as Christians can be too righteous and not understand that the devil can also tempt us with great offers too, but it actually hasn't come from God. We need to be wise and on the lookout. There's two times in life when we are vulnerable to temptation. That's when we have nothing and when we have everything. God promises to supply all our needs if we seek him first and honour him with our finances. When I was coming onto maternity leave, it's quite a big cut from um, my normal pay. And me and Jeremy tithe nonstop. We've always tithed. And I was going through our budget and I said to him, I don't know how we're going to pay our tithes when we've got a mortgage, a power bill and a baby. And so I crunched all the numbers with him and I said, listen, I think we're going to have to do 5% of our tithes just for six months. And then after six months, we'll go back to 10 so we sat down and prayed one night and we said, God, if you make a way for us, we'll pay 10%. But until then, we're definitely going to be paying 5 And I promise you, without a doubt, every single week, we've been able to pay 10% in tithes. We've paid our mortgage, our power bill, but we also have money left to bless others and also enjoy life as a family. So um, seek him first and he promises to supply all your needs. The next sign is a weak prayer life. Prayer is a discipline. Just like we exercise our muscles, we need to exercise our prayer life. Before Jesus went to the cross, he asked his disciples to watch with me one hour. Watch and pray. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. Just hours later, Peter found himself under an attack. He denied that he even knew Jesus. 
I'd be very upset if Georgia denied me after years of friendship and Peter just did this to Jesus. The temptation came because his flesh is weak. Prayer is a discipline, not a gift. That sentence really touched me. I really struggle to pray. I'll start praying in the lounge and then I'll see the washing that needs done or the toys that need picked up or try and pray at bedtime but your blanket's on and you get all warm and relaxed and end up falling asleep. I always get distracted. I believe that praying was a gift and Jono and Annette just got that gift and I didn't. (laughs) But no, Jono and Annette are incredibly self-disciplined. The key to a spiritual life is to inhale the word and exhale it in prayer. The Bible is inspired word of God, which means God breathed. So when we read the Bible, we're inhaling into our spiritual life, but then exhaling as we pray. You can't just breathe in, you must also breathe out. The next one is feeling overwhelmed and hopeless. If you're feeling overwhelmed and hopeless, and you're feeling very uptight about circumstances, that could be a sign that you're under an attack. The word circumstances comes from two words, circum meaning encircled and stance meaning standing, stand. In other words, you are standing encircled by whatever is going on. Circumstances can be overwhelming. Everywhere you turn, there is another problem or situation. You are on a never-ending hamster wheel. This is one of Satan's many tricks he has. He plants seeds in the thought on the in the form of thoughts. So we start to think things like, what's the point? Why do I even try? Nothing's changing. Frustration takes over. I read that frustration is the fear that your efforts won't pay off. Frustration is fear that your efforts won't pay off. Remember the python suffocates its victims slowly. Gradually, little by little, the freedom to live is squeezed out of its prey. If the devil can get you to lose hope, he can stop you living in faith. The next one is old habits and lifestyle resurface. This is when you long for your old lifestyle. Stealing, lying, cheating, porn, drugs, smoking and drinking all start to wean its way back into your life. A classic example of this is when Moses led the people of Israel out of Egyptian slavery. Every time they encountered a small hardship, they wanted to go back into slavery. After miraculous deliverance from Egypt, across the Red Sea, and into safety, they started to get hungry, and complaints started to circulate. The Israelites said to them, If only we had died by the Lord's hand in Egypt. There we sat around pots of meat and ate all the food we wanted. But you have brought us out in this desert to starve this entire assembly to death? If you start to fall back into old habits that God has set you free from, or even start to think about them, it's a sure sign you're under an attack from the lies of the python. The last one is you pull away from godly relationships. You were once the first to attend a service and one of the last to leave because you enjoyed talking and being around other believers. But now, you no longer want to hang out with Christian friends. You stop attending life groups and church on Sunday. Just have a think. Are the majority of your friends worldly-minded or spiritually-minded? If they are more worldly-minded, be very careful. 
You are stumbling around the battleground and the enemy does have a target on your head. Your friends are a photo of your future. When your life is so filled with God and the Holy Spirit, your unsaved friends will be drawn to him. If you have more in common with people of the world than you do who serve Christ, you are not connected to the right people. I'm absolutely not saying don't have non-Christian friends, but I am saying make sure you're well balanced. I remember mum said to me one day, imagine you're on a table and you're trying to pull up your non-Christian friend to be a Christian. It's a lot easier for them to pull you off the table than it is for you to pull them up, especially on your own. So loss of spiritual desire, physical fatigue, lack attack, weak prayer life, feeling overwhelmed and hopeless, old habits and lifestyle resurface, and pulling away from godly relationships are signs you're under an attack from the spirit of Python. Now, when I was reading this book, I started getting a little bit hot, and I was trying to pull the snake off my neck. So if you're feeling like me, there's good news. I have some keys on how to help you. So here are five key do-nots to break the enemy's attack from your life. The first, do not forget who made you. God created you with storms in mind. The The Bible says the righteous will flourish like a palm tree. When there are tornadoes, they can break massive oak trees in half, like a toothpick, but not a palm tree. Palm trees are created to bend and not break. The storm can bend you, but it can't break you, especially if it bends you to your knees and Jesus is the center of your life. God has put a bounce in us like a rubber ball. If life has you down, remember the harder you fall, the higher your bounce back will be. So don't forget who made you. The next one is do not forsake the time and place of prayer. It is so important prayer becomes a significant part of our lives. Where and when I pray is vital. Like I said earlier, I try to pray at bedtime, but I always fall asleep because I'm tired and relaxed. In the lounge, I start to pray, but then I get distracted by things that need done. We need to have a place where we can go to pray that won't distract us. I know Pop used to go to the Ashburton Airport. That was his war zone. That was his prayer room. Once we have this place and we go there regularly, when hardships arise, we can go to our place of refuge. And if you don't have the words to speak, you can just sit there waiting on God. When we go to our place of prayer, it's an act of surrender to God's will for our lives. Our physical presence says, I want to hear from you. I don't know what to say or what to pray, but I'm here. If you don't have a place of prayer, you need to create one. The next one is do not forsake the place of power. The place of power is here at church. When we get into a spiritual battle, the enemy will try pull you away from church. He'll plant seeds about the church and the people in it to stop you from coming. If we touch on the prodigal son, he had all his needs met in his father's house. He was fed for, cared for, loved, clothed. He was under a spiritual covering. When he left his father's house and he went into a foreign country, he lost everything he once owned and he ended up eating with the pigs. When the enemy tells you 10 reasons to not attend church, that's when you need to get ready faster. That's when you know God's word will strengthen you and you probably won't hear that anywhere else. 
The Bible tells us very strongly that we need to be like a tree planted by the water, not a tumbleweed that blows wherever the wind takes it. Tumbleweeds are rootless and fruitless. Do not forsake the power of the church. I'm so thankful me and Jeremy are planted in this church and now we get to raise Ezra here. And it's so awesome on a Sunday seeing so many people love him, change his nappy, make him giggle. Like this is why you get planted in a church because it's so awesome raising your kids and your, and your family here. Number four, do not forsake the power of partnership. The devil knows how strong partnership is. That's why the first thing he did was to get Eve away from Adam. He isolated her, then twisted the words of God. And I think now as a nation, we can see that even more. The devil did very well at isolating us with COVID. He told us it was unsafe to see other people. Christians turned on Christians about a vaccination and family turned on family. His tactic never changes. He wants to divide and conquer. But we do need to use wisdom in choosing what relationships to cultivate. In Proverbs 27 verse 17, iron sharpens iron. We do not have to support toxic, dysfunctional and draining relationships. It is so important to be around people that have lived longer and done more life than we have so we can learn from their experiences, including their mistakes. I am so incredibly thankful for Nan and Pop. Pop passed away almost two years ago and not a day goes by that I don't think about him and how much I wish he could be here to see how far we have come as a family, to see my new fence in grass because he loved our house, to meet Ezra, he would have just been so proud. I know that if, if Pop was at church today, he would have been up the front videoing Nico on the drums and not just for 30 seconds, the entire set. And you all might have got a wee glimpse in his camera as well. Then during the transition where we go from worship into um, the notices, he would have got up and he would have been walking around the stage and you didn't want to make eye contact with him. I know Georgia used to say, you know the Jaws music? Dun, 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 dun. That was pop. So he'd get up on stage and he wouldn't make eye contact and Georgia said she always heard the shark music in the back of her head. But then pop would just go and a massive download from God would just come and he'd just hit the nail on the head and no one would know what was going on in your life and Pop would just speak grace and love and affirmation and faith into your life. He was just absolutely incredible. And then he would be up the front encouraging me the whole way through this message. Yes, amen, come on, that's so good. Everything for Pop was just amazing. You couldn't do anything wrong in his eyes especially me. <laughs> um, Nan and Pop are just incredible people. And to this day, Nan, you just blow me away with your faith, your resilience, your love and your hope for all of us. Nan and Pop have been massive influences in my life. I learned so much from them. I listened to them. One, because they're wise. And two, you didn't have a choice with Pop because you <laughs> wouldn't want the consequences if you didn't. Um. But they've just been absolutely incredible. They were spiritual giants in my life, and they always will be. And I know many of you are here today because they were also giants in your life. They have fought the good fight of faith. When we go through an attack, you don't want a deadbeat best friend that will drag you down further, encourage you, and allow you to play in your mess. 
You need to be around spiritual giants who have fought the good fight of faith and are still standing. I'm inspired by Nan and Pop to be a spiritual giant for those younger and even older than me. And lastly, do not disconnect from pastoral connection. God has given pastors the responsibility of feeding and protecting the flock. Therefore, they are the shepherds and we are the sheep. God has given mum and dad that responsibility, which is huge, but they do an incredible job of it. In Hebrews 13 verse 17, Obey those who rule over you and be submissive, for they watch out for your souls as those who must give an account. Let them do so with joy and not grief, for that would be unprofitable of you. Should just leave right there. Like, it's a mic drop kind of sentence, isn't it? Let's just read that last sentence again. Do so with joy and not grief, for that would be unprofitable of you. I know Dad has said many times people in church want more advice from him around painting than they do about taking a new job or moving towns. And it's not that you have to get the okay about everything you do in your life. I'm sure they don't want to see what dress you're thinking of buying. But it is so important that you seek them for their advice because they see things that you might not see. The shepherd sees the wolf coming even when you don't. The shepherd's staff has a hook on the end that was used for pulling a lamb out of danger and his rod is used as a weapon against predators. Don't wait until the enemy has ripped you to pieces to seek the aid of those in a pastoral role in your life. Mum and dad's heart is for you. Your mentor's heart is for you. Your life group's leader's heart is for you. They just want the best for you. So do not forget who made you. Do not forget, do not forsake the time and place of power. Do not forsake the place of power. Do not forsake the power of partnership. Do not disconnect from pastoral connection. As I was reading this book, so much got revealed to me about things that I needed to change and improve on. And I want to because I want to be the best wife, mother, daughter, sister, youth pastor and youth worker I can be. I did lose myself to the spirit of Python. It was robbing me. It was suffocating me, but not anymore. I've cut the snake at the head, and I refuse to let it have hold of my life and my family's life anymore. I'll just grab the band up now. As I was prepping this word this week, I wanted to allow time for anyone that wants prayer this morning to come to the front, and together we can get rid of the spirit. A problem shared is a problem halved. Don't let the spirit of Python take your breath. Stand tall and cut the snake at the head. We are above and not beneath. We are head and not the tail. So if you'd all stand with me this morning. Lord, I just want to thank you so much for your presence here today, Father. I thank you for this word that you've placed on my heart. And you planned this day before I even did, Lord. We uh, thank you for the acknowledgement of the spirit of Python and the tools that you've given us to cut this at the head, Father. I pray for anyone that is feeling like they're under attack, Lord, that you'd give them the strength that they need to step out of their seats and come get prayer, Lord. Thank you, Jesus.